0: Please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll continue our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. We noted last week that the tone in Paul's letter changes abruptly in chapter 10, so much so that there are critics who have alleged that it's a different letter altogether. Maybe that two were just pieced together. Of course, this is ridiculous um, for so many other reasons. We believe that this is part of the original fourth letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. But he's changing his tone for a reason, how he's, he's directly addressing the accusations made by these false apostles, if you will, false teachers that have deceived the Corinthian church. If you think about uh, the church in general, from the time of Adam until the end, remember that there have always been false influences in any church, in every church. This is just the way things are since the fall. You remember in the very first church consisting of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel? There was a false brother in the church, destroying the church. But that's not Cain in particular, is it? You look behind Cain and what do you see? You see the enemy. You see Satan. He's the one who started it. He was in the garden. And yet, Paul goes on to address this throughout this letter in chapters 11 and 12. He says that even these false teachers look like agents of righteousness. They look like us. Last week, we saw that Paul also acknowledged he's not fighting by the same rules as the false teachers, the false apostles who were accusing him, throwing attacks toward him. He said, No, 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 I don't fight like that. I fight on my knees. I fight in prayer and trust in the scriptures and the gospel, trust in the spirit who called me to gospel ministry that he will accomplish his work. God's way. The means of grace, that's the same way all of us should handle any trial, certainly any accusation, certainly any attack. Remember, first of all, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We acknowledge, first of all, that there is something else that's attacking us, not just this person, it's the enemy. But Paul trusts the means of grace, and so should we. He trusted the Word of God and the gospel promises and the knowledge of God that's found in this book, which is 100% the truth about life and about God. It tells us about ourselves as well. And because we know ourselves well from this book, we know that we need to pray. Paul just lived his life in weakness in frailty. He lived a godly life with God's people and focused his heart on Christ. But now in verses 7 through 18, we'll see that Paul is actually addressing the the boasting and the accusations of these false teachers, and he's going to continue into chapter 11, directly confronting this in his weakness and in the meekness of Christ. So would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? This word is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's preserved for you this day. Beginning in verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letters when we are absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, But when they measure themselves by one another, they compare themselves with one another, and they are without understanding. But we will not only boast, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Amen. Please be seated and let us pray that God adds his blessing to the public reading of Holy Scripture. Our Father and our God, we thank you that everything else in the world may be shaken, but your word stands forever. It is true and right. It is infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably true because it comes from you. But we are finite, and we need your help to understand your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to discern the truth of this text, that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word, that we would all be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul comes across throughout this letter and really all of his letters. In the book of Acts as well, we see the life of Paul. He's a man who has been crushed by trial and tribulation for God's glory. The Holy Spirit has used these hardships to make him a meek and lowly man, like Christ, like Jesus. The false teachers are very easily contrasted because they're very proud and self-centered. There's something not right. I remember when I was visiting Thailand, just walking around. I had a few hours before uh, my next event. Walking through the various markets, and Asian markets are wonderful. Um, There's bartering that goes on, and there's all kinds of goods that you can purchase. When I was there, I noticed that I could actually buy a Rolex Oyster Perpetual Automatic watch for $25. I was so excited. $25? Are you kidding me? These cost $5,000 in Switzerland, up to $25,000. I can have one for $25. Of course, I realized very quickly that this wasn't the actual Rolex that they make in Switzerland. The second hand moved the same, and if, you, if you've if you noticed a Rolex watch, the, the hand ticks in a, in, a, in a certain way that... That's, that's a Rolex. The second hand still did that. I was like, well, they got the second hand right. And it was a heavy watch, it was shiny. But the reality was it was a counterfeit. That was not the real thing. There's a reason why it was $25. The insides were all cheaply made. The inside of the watch, the part you couldn't see, was all wrong. No real Swiss parts, I would imagine. Had ever been in Thailand. To make that watch. And for that reason it wasn't capable of the consistency and accuracy. Of the real Swiss Rolex. Which I don't own by the way. I would love to have a Rolex someday. But it would have to be me finding it on the beach or something. But you see the false teachers in Corinth were like this. And that's part of Paul's message in the next chapter as well. They look like real Christian people. But they didn't have the consistency and the accuracy of a real Christian. And Paul's going to point that out throughout these next 11 verses. First of all, look, he he says in verse 7, you're judging by appearances. The ESV translate, they're both good translations. Look at what is before your eyes The King James and the NIV say, You are judging by mere outward appearances. Calvin, and I agree with Calvin, likes the latter, the indicative. You are judging by mere outward appearances. He's he's rebuking the church in, in this small way. Saying, you should actually know better than just to look at the outward appearance of these false teachers. You've been fooled by them. They're showy and they're grand and they look great and they sound wonderful. They're impressive. But don't you remember? God looks at the heart, and you should as well. The Lord taught Samuel this very lesson in 1 Samuel 16. When all the sons of Jesse were brought before him, and he looked at the firstborn, and he was a massive man. He was strong, a warrior. And Samuel said, Ah, this is the one. And God said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Jesus said this as well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. By the word of God. Paul says, you look at these false teachers, you admire them. They're impressive, they're shiny, they're eloquent. But you're missing the force for the trees. The heart controlled by the Holy Spirit is what counts. The soul owned by Jesus Christ. And so he continues in verse 7. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, that's the issue. Do they belong to Christ or not? If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ as much as they do. In other words, they can't fake this for too long. Eventually, you're going to see the fruit on the tree these impostors claim to be confidently belonging to Christ. And Paul's using some irony and, dare I say, some, some sarcasm, some, some sarcasm of rebuke here. They need to, to, the, to remember that we, the real apostles, actually belong to Christ as much as they do, as much as they claim to. We really know him. We're the real article. I'm the real Rolex. He might have been remembering Christ's teaching in his famous sermon, Matthew 7, where he says, Beware of false prophets. I'm sure Paul, when he read this, he was just thanking God. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me some way to understand these false teachers. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. Don't judge by appearances. That's the first thing he says here to this church. Look to Christ. Are they owned by Christ? Because if they're owned by Christ, they're going to... Show the fruit of Christ. But the second thing he tells them is that he's also different from these false teachers because his authority is real. It's from God. It's verse 8. Even if I boast a little bit too much of our authority, which the Lord gave, the accusation has been leveled that he's not a real apostle. He's not a real apostle. His authority is invalid. He's not a real Rolex. He's the fake one. He's the cheap $25 one. And because of this, his authority is not valid, and he's false. Paul the Apostle is false in what he commands, what he teaches. The reality is, he has literally met Jesus. Paul has. He's been instructed by Jesus. Jesus. He's given authority by God Himself to be an apostle to the Gentiles and gone at the command of the Son Himself. So this conversation really, if you think about it, is, is like a bully in a neighborhood, a little ten year old bully, and he's accusing the President of the United States of something. And the President actually comes to him and and talks to him. Hey, little man, I'm the president. What you're saying is wrong. This is kind of the condescension that we see Paul showing as he addresses these accusations of the false teachers. He knows he's sent from God. And he knows that they are not sent from God. And yet he still is explaining to them the reality of his call because of his love for the church. This is an authority, he says, in verse 8, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you. This is another distinctive of Paul's ministry versus the false teacher's ministry. The false teachers leave a wake of destruction. It's like a tornado roaring through the church. Destruction, dissension, all kinds of trouble. And Paul said, everything I do is for building you up. False teachers aren't like that. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but only for the bride of Christ. So when he spoke of his apostolic authority, and when he spoke from that apostolic authority, whether it was to rebuke or correct or encourage, it was real. It was for the building up of the body. And the proof is in the pudding. One of y'all know what that actually comes from, that phrase, the proof is in the pudding. You need to explain that to me because I don't remember why we say that. But you know what it means. The church should be built up by a ministry. Should be pushed to Christ. The false teachers of this church were just pushing themselves. They were highlighting themselves. The focus is always on them and their own lives and their grandeur. They exercise assumed power to build themselves up. Paul exercises his real authority and real power given by God to build the church up. So Paul says this is very different. And actually there's application for us here as well. False teaching will always focus the church on something other than the gospel. Think of any church. Is their primary focus the gospel? Or is it on, We'll just pick something? I grew up in churches that focused on charismatic gifts or focused on speaking in tongues. It's not the gospel. That's not the focus of a church. What day of the week we worship on. Or churches that focus on end times constantly. They miss something. There's false teaching going on. The main thing is Jesus in the gospel. So these false teachers were focusing on something else, primarily their own reputation, their own selfish ambition, rather than the welfare of the church. Paul says that's not right. True Christian leaders, and you should be thankful for the elders God has given you, will always put the welfare of the body of Christ before their own welfare. The bride of Christ is precious to them. You realize when our session meets, we talk about each one of you and how precious the bride of Christ is. Christian leaders know that they were called by God and not by men. They know that they serve the king first and foremost. They know that they will give account for how they shepherd the flock. They're willing to suffer anything rather than forsake the truth. Christ is always preeminent in ministry. Actually, you all should always hold me accountable. If you ever hear anything from the pulpit that doesn't honor Christ and Christ alone, I need to be corrected. You need to come to me. Come to the elders. Come to me first. But come to the, come to the leadership and say, this is not about Christ. So Paul is correcting these false teachers, reminding them that his authority actually comes from God. They're judging by appearances, the churches. They need to look at fruit. They need to remember that his authority comes from God and his selfless ministry for the sake of the bride. But he says also that his power comes from God. Verse 9, I don't want to appear frightening in my letters. Don't think that when I come in person, it's not also going to be in power. The false teachers have said, ah, he's just, he's brave in his letters. He's brave when he writes from a distance. But when he comes, his bodily presence is weak, his speech is of no account. In other words, he doesn't really have any authority, and he's not really acting in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's just a scary letter writer. Paul says, I actually... I'm coming in power, but it's not the kind of power that you would anticipate, false teachers. Your power is about show. It's about authority. It's about politicking and manipulating and getting power for yourself and influence. Paul forsakes that. He wants the, the church to know his source of power comes from Christ. Second Corinthians 12, a little bit later if you flip one page... 2 Corinthians twelve nine and 10. This is the power of Paul's message. My grace is sufficient for you, the Lord said to him. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The false teachers never would have said anything like that. Paul's showing a great contrast. Yes, you think I'm weak in my bodily presence and my speeches of no account. The true source of my power in this church, he's saying, comes from the weakness produced by a life sacrifice for Christ, who's dying every day for Christ, who's a broken vessel, a jar of clay. When he's weak, the power of God flows through him. Christ, of course, was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God, Paul tells us. So Paul is content to be viewed in the same weakness. But he will deal with them by the power of God. It's a real power that he's been given. So things we continue to see from Paul in this letter is that, number one, Paul is content to be broken by God so that the Holy Spirit might flow through him. The gospel flows most easily through broken vessels. And actually, this should be always your prayer for me as your pastor. I don't want health and wealth and thriving unless it's spiritual. Pray for brokenness and human weakness and whatever hardship is required to make me holy and godly and sanctified for the work God's given me to do. Pray for me to increasingly see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For I know that when I am weak, He's strong in me. And really, this isn't just a prayer for your pastor. This is every true Christian's prayer. This is every true Christian's prayer for your children and for your grandparents and your parents. Lord, whatever it takes... Bring real faith to their lives. If you have to crush them, crush them. Physical pain, relationships, difficulties in life, whatever it takes, Lord. Bring them to faith. Bring them to Christ. I remember talking to a man who was telling me about his prayers for his son. I really am praying he goes to this wonderful school and he has all this wonderful stuff and he stays healthy so he can do this and that I said, brother, are you praying that God breaks his soul so that he comes to true faith and repentance? Whatever it takes. I'd rather have a child who's Johnny Erickson in a wheelchair, who knows Christ, than a child who becomes the president of some university or some great military leader who doesn't know Christ. Lord, do your work. Do your work in each one of us. Paul is content in weakness because he knows when he's weak, then Christ is strong in him. Let such a person understand, Paul says in verse 11, talking again to the false teachers, what we say by letter when we're absent, we do when we are present. In other words, what I write comes from a reality. I'm owned by the Holy Spirit. He lives in me. And I'm not writing scary letters to frighten you. I'm writing this way because the Holy Spirit has inspired me to do so. And when I come, I will come with the power of the king's man. That's what Paul was. He's the king's man. I pray that each one of you are king's men and king's women. And I'm the king's man and I herald and proclaim the decrees of the royal potentate, our blessed king if you saw any of the pomp and circumstance of the crowning of King Charles III yesterday, that's just the most insignificant shadow of the King of Kings and all of His majesty and glory. The herald who is standing up and proclaiming the glories and the health of the King yesterday. That's what every one of us do. That's what preachers are doing showing the great blessing of serving the king and warning of the terrible price of rebelling against him. This is who Paul was. He's coming in the power of the Spirit. This is who I am. Get ready, he's saying. When I come, you're going to see the real thing. So don't judge by appearances. Remember, Paul's authority is from God and his power is from God. And also in verse 12, don't make false comparisons. Comparing yourself with yourself. That's what the false teachers were doing. They weren't looking at Paul. They were comparing each other with each other. When I was a senior in college, our intramural football team in ROTC, we, we were the champions. And it was UT in San Antonio. It's a fairly big school. I think at the time there were 25,000 students probably 10 or 15 intramural teams. So who's on an intramural football team? It's all the kids who played football in high school, but who aren't good enough to play in the big leagues, right? But they still think they're really good football players. So we were intramural champs, all about the same level um, of skill and ability. Well, then something happened. Our senior year, we had a new grad student who showed up Um, He was a grad student from, he had just finished his schooling a few years before that at Texas A&M. And at Texas A&M, his name's Jimmy Hawkins, you can look him up. Uh, Jimmy was the starting kick returner and punt returner. In other words, this dude had moves. He could run. And he showed up as a grad student we're like, uh... Jimmy, you're going to be in ROTC, right? And he said, yeah, he's a two-year cadet. He's going to get his graduate degree and then get commissioned with us. We were like, you going to play football with us? You're going to be on our intramural team? So we convinced him to join the team. We guilted him into it, actually. It is amazing if you've ever been around an athlete of that quality. Like, this really was our play every time. Hut, hut. Toss the ball to Jimmy, because it's over. He would juke, and it's flag football. You don't even have to tackle him. You have to just pull the flag off. Something was different. Something happened with the microphone, too. That's different. But something was different with Jimmy. We were comparing ourselves to ourselves, and we thought we were all really, really good When we saw Jimmy, we realized we actually were just mediocre at best. We weren't all that great. Paul's speaking with some irony here as well. He's saying, hey, you false teachers, you're comparing yourself with yourself. You're not seeing the great contrast that you should see when you compare yourself to a real apostle. Well, why were these false teachers not able to see clearly? They were spiritually blind. He's just like all of us on our intramural team. We thought we were all pretty good. We had never seen someone play or played with someone of that ability before. And he was like generations better than us and everyone in the school. We were champions again, by the way. These men lacked a good standard for comparison, and it's no wonder they were spiritually blind. So would a blind man look at the Mona Lisa and think it's beautiful? Well, he's not going to see it. He doesn't know. Or a deaf man hearing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and think it's wonderful? No, he doesn't know. These false teachers were comparing themselves to themselves. They had no spiritual eyes, no life, no gospel, no truth. And Paul says, you've got to stop and look at what's real. Our application really is, is pretty straightforward for this point as well. We shouldn't be looking at each other and comparing ourselves with each other to look down at others and pride over others, to make accusations against others. This is a result of pride. This is what the false teachers were doing. When we do that, of course, we always hold ourselves to a much lower standard and we hold everyone else to a much higher standard so that we all look wonderful. This is just human nature. We minimize our own sin and magnify our own goodness. So don't do that. But there is a comparison that is encouraged in the the New Testament, but it's a private and an inward thing. That's where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You compare your own walk with God, your own godliness, your own sanctification with someone else, and you see, wow, this person knows God in a way that I don't. This is what discipleship is. Someone is discipling another and saying, I'm really imitating Christ here. And I want to help you imitate Christ as well. Paul tells Timothy to be an example for the believers in his word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Examples are to be imitated. So each one of us should be doing this. If you see someone in this body who you can imitate because they're, they're, they're living the Word of God, they're living for Christ, inasmuch as it comports to, the, to God's Word, change your life a little bit to be like theirs, whatever it is. This is a good comparison to make. Paul says also in verse 13 through 16, this may seem like a confusing part of the passage, that his confidence comes from God as well. We will not boast beyond limits, he says, but we'll only boast with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even you. Verses 13 to 16, what Paul is really saying is that the false teachers were boasting beyond limits. In other words, Paul's saying, I did all the work here. I came to you. I brought the gospel to you. And now these false teachers are claiming all the glory. Calvin said, Paul fought the battle. They enjoyed the triumph. All the work in Corinth was due to them. These are prideful, self-seeking men, so it's no surprise. But their pride, their fruit, this this would all eventually give them out. They would be seen for what they were by their fruit. They weren't like Jesus, meek and gentle. They were proud and boastful and selfish, accusatory. They lacked any real holiness in life. But they were outwardly clean, sparkly, cheap Rolex. They looked pretty good, but they had no substance. So Paul has contrasted his own spirit, the spirit of Christ, where the focus is the health of the church and the glory of Christ, his own boasting and the weakness that God has brought to him. He's contrasting this with these false teachers who are claiming everything but have no real substance in themselves. The last point, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, Let's boast in the Lord. Let anyone who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's not the one who commends himself, who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. When will we be commended by the Lord? At the throne of God. So he's basically saying, imagine you're at the throne of God. All things will be laid bare. Nothing will be hidden from God's sight. All things will be laid bare when the eyes of him, when we must give, to whom we must give account, when all that is revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. We will know who's right and who's wrong. If you're going to boast, you better make sure you're boasting before God. Coram Deo, before the face of God. This is how we should all live as well. In light of God's sovereignty and his eternal power and wisdom, we should live. As though we walked every second of every minute of every day before the face of God. Seeking his favor and not the favor of man. This is what kept Paul grounded. Because he lived before God and was the king's man, he knew he didn't have to be afraid or intimidated by these false teachers. But he also knew he didn't need to please them. His ministry was a ministry of brokenness and weakness, and it was from God because he lived before God. I'll conclude with just this point of application. We should all seek the commendation of God. Nothing will be hidden from his sight. We should seek to live transparently, both before our own lives and before others, because certainly we're going to live transparently before God. He will see everything. We need, like Paul, to... To spend and be spent for the kingdom of God. And those of you right now who are striving to do this, who are living for God to the best of your ability, by the power of the Spirit, you have a good foundation for hope. I would say to you, don't grow weary in doing good. All who desire to live a godly life will what? Be persecuted. Trials are coming. It's part of the deal. But it's for your good. It's for, your, for God's glory that He breaks you and uses you. So don't grow weary. Dedicate yourself to holiness and godliness and good works for the sake of Jesus Christ, by the power of, your, of the Holy Spirit. How do you do this? Well, you fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He will not let you down. His word is true. But if some of you... Are wondering if you really have saving faith. Or are you like the $25 Rolex that looks good on the outside? How do you know? Well, is your life about you? Are you like these false teachers? Do you live for your own glory? Your own desires often trump the church or God's will? Don't you know that without holiness, nobody will see the kingdom of God? Do you see any of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Do you have any desire daily to to live for God? Are you drawn to God's Word and drawn to prayer? Are you living before the face of God? Do, do Do you know that God is always with you? Do you have any reason to hope that you have an inheritance in heaven? Knowing your doctrine, knowing the gospel, this doesn't save you. Even believing that it's true, this doesn't save you. The demons believe it's true. This was probably the life of the false teachers that Paul addressed. There was great knowledge mixed with great pride. And the fruit of their lives left a path of destruction because it was all related to themselves. So analyze what you love, what you really spend your time and your money, your thoughts on. Look at the fruit of your life. Ask yourself if you really love Jesus, the Son of God, who is taken up in bodily form into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God right now and is coming back again. Do you love Him? Do you contemplate what He's done for you? And does this contemplation of His sacrifice bring you to worship and holy living? Are you boasting in yourself? Or are you boasting in the Lord? Because only the, the praise of God... Only that matters, nothing else. If today you realize you don't trust in Christ alone, then make this the day that you do. Well, as we turn to the Lord's Supper, it's fitting that we talk of